0: When you said, what's a movie you've seen that was too much for you? Yeah. I said, this is the movie I was talking about. And then a yeah. few days later, I see that Marsh logged it and <laughs> watched it with Kyle. Yeah,
1: but Kyle <laughs> Kyle made the greatest observation what? of all time, which is that Anthony Wong looks like Joe Trulio, and people on the internet now can't unsee it, you know? <laughs> right. Um, right. It's true. I mean, it's true. And that's important. The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder.
2: Gentlemen, get the thing straight once and for all. Clear the streets along his route, deploy our men, and create an impassable barrier. A gauntlet, if you will. He won't have a chance. I challenge you to a duel. Oh, well. I, the truth, this guy's starting to get on my nerves. <laughs> you want to crown him? Then crown your head. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them on the whole It's hot. It's hot out there. Let's, we all walk out there. Very, very, very hot. Open fire! Hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of The Gauntlet. I am one of your hosts. My name is Andrew Stasulis, and I am joined here tonight by Eric Marsh and Ryan Saunders. For those who don't know, The Gauntlet is a weekly double feature podcast in which one of the hosts selects a topic for the week, a theme, and the other two hosts are challenged with bringing a double feature to the table that meets the topic, addresses the topic in one way, shape, or form. I was up this week. It was my turn to pick. And uh, I mentioned this briefly at the end of, of last week's episode, but you know, I think uh, I'm not alone in in being uh, excited slash maybe a little nervous about Michael Mann's big screen return with Ferrari, his big, you know, biopic racing movie starring Adam Driver in the title role. And it just kind of got me thinking a little bit about racing movies, movies about racing cars auto races that sort of thing so i asked the boys to uh you know do a couple warm-up laps if you will before ferrari is eventually released when's that coming out like christmas I think December, time? Yeah. yeah somewhere around there so yeah consider this our uh our, our preliminary our preliminary track run before yeah
1: going to jiffy lube you know getting lubed up <laughs>
2: It's one way of putting it, that's for sure. Uh, So yes, tonight we will be kicking the tires, folks. And we've got a a very interesting double feature, to say the least. So I think, without further ado, gentlemen, start your engines. (laughs) Now, I think Marsh had the earlier of the films. Marsh, you're in the pole position, as they would say, so why don't you set the pace for the evening? All right, I'm peeling out. Um,
1: This was the first movie I thought of when you said the topic, and it's the movie that I chose, probably because it was the last great racing film that I watched. I watched it at some point last year, uh, and I loved it. I was totally into it, and one of those, you know, it's very much a film that I... Was like, man, I wish, I wish Ryan and Andy had seen this movie, you know, because um, I thought you would both really like it, and uh, that's what I did. I picked Pit Stop, AKA The Winner, from 1969, written, directed, produced, and edited by Jack Hill. This is an exploitation film that originated uh, with Roger Corman, who. Saw uh, you know who had worked with uh, Jack Hill throughout the '60s, and at a certain point, Corman approached him and said, uh, "Could you make a stock car racing movie?" Jack Hill said, "I don't want to do that. I want to make <laughs> I want to make an art film." And Corman said, "Well, make me an art film that has stock car racing in it." And Jack Hill uh, didn't want to do it until one day he saw figure eight racing which uh, as the title implies is was they don't do this anymore was a form of stock car racing where uh, the track is a figure eight meaning that crash in the middle intersection of this, uh, of this course. I was about
2: to say, if you're at home going, how the hell would that work? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> you know? That's uh, the, the whole <laughs> premise of the racing. You know? Yeah,
1: so it's sort of part demolition derby and part uh, stock car racing, and that's the world uh, that Jack Hill decided to set this film in. Uh, Now, they were also able to score uh, an aging Brian Don Levy in his final screen role as Grant Willard, the manager, uh, businessman of California Custom Cars who is this sort of uh, Faustian figure who looms over the proceedings in the film, Uh, and he recruits Rick Bowman, a young drag racer played by Dick Davalos who is a little new to the game, but uh, quickly gets the hang of it and fights to uh, establish himself as a figure eight racer. Standing in his way Hawk Sidney, played by Sid Haig, who is just going off the entire movie. Um, there's a lot more to it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, cheapy, black and white, but I think it's very, very well done. Um, and interestingly, Hill called this, the. Uh, in retrospect, he called this the last great action movie in black and white because... By the time it came out in 1969, even drive-in theaters didn't want black-and-white films anymore, and so it could only play at the second- and third-run theaters, Uh, as, of course, everyone was phasing out black-and-white in the late middle of the late 60s. It took two years from production to release, uh, a film that, of course, uh, was forgotten for many years until uh, it was revived largely by Quentin Tarantino uh, and home video in the 90s and all um, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, a, a lot of carnage, car carnage. Uh, it's got a really, uh, funky score. Uh, and, uh, we'll get into it. The dangerous world of figure eight racing and, uh, all that that entails. So, uh,
2: that's Pit Stop. Hell yeah. Now, Ryan, uh, in the, in the number two car this evening. Uh, why don't you tell folks about the uh, the, the the death-defying auto racing spectacle
0: <laughs> you brought us? Yeah. It's funny that Pit Stop and Jack Hill was tough to program in, in theaters, or at least just the drive-in, because my film, boy, oh boy, they couldn't get this thing out of theaters. They kept this thing in the movie theaters for years and years and years, but I'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> when I was Looking up some racing films, there were a lot that seemed really appealing to me. And I don't know if the reason I ended up picking what I did had something to do with maybe this subconscious impulse of thinking about my own experience with racing, primarily just being the Pinewood Derby. And... Designing my own little wooden toy cars out of pine wood uh, to race, you know, with the scouts. And that was always a really fun activity. And I feel like I won a couple years. I remember, like, one year doing it at the mall. And then I think I also (laughs) came home with, like, a VHS of Fellowship of the Ring that same day. (laughs) Kind of like a prize, you know? Oh, my God. Or maybe it was just around the time that film was in theaters and there were, like, den fathers being like, we can't take our kids to this. This thing is... So bloody. You know, like they had deep regrets. Now I'm imagining
2: like uh in, in pit stop, you know, like the the absolute like bloodbath uh racing that they're doing, <laughs> like all these like gnarled, charred fucking wrecks of cars and just like the last man standing, like At the podium, and then just like handing handing this guy (laughs) a fucking VHS of Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Here's the the
0: two pack of uh, Godfather Three. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Let's see. Now I'm imagining like a figure eight racing version of the Pinewood Derby. If they have like little motors, that would have been pretty sick too. But when I was doing this research, I, I came across this animated film that I'd never heard of from Norway called the Pinchcliffe Grand Prix came out in 1975. And when I saw the way these cars looked, it immediately evoked that sensation of me of thinking about putting together my own little Pinewood Derby vehicle and the joys with that. Uh, So I couldn't resist and and I had to bite. This film was a sensation when it came out and was for many years. As I mentioned, it was uh, in theaters for a very long time this film was shown in theaters every single day for 28 years from 1975 to like 2003 uh, primarily in norway moscow and tokyo people love this thing it is still like a cherished film in norway i think it's the most financially successful film to ever come out of norway shown a christmas eve every year and it, it was also the highest-grossing stop-motion film of all time until it was unseated by Nightmare Before Christmas. And it was interesting that it just kind of feels like something that was really well-known, and I guess it kind of reminds me of our discussion about animated films where it's not really my area of expertise, so I had just never heard of this thing. But when I saw the Little Models, I couldn't resist. This film tells the story of a, uh, an inventor and also, bicycle repairman named Thomas Rimspoke, who lives. Well, can we
1: can we address
0: something here? Sorry, well, I, was, I was going to. <laughs> I uh. is it about the names? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, became quite attached to the way the names were all translated into English. Is that? Yeah. Well, how did you guys feel about that? Do you? Want, are you saying you want to refer to them by the? Well, the norwegian names not, necess-
1: not necessarily but like i just for the for the hedgehog they're going ludwig ludwig and then it's not that in the translation like i can't not call him
0: ludwig you know at least i'm just Warning. See that I knew that that would be a source of contention because we became quite <laughs> obsessed with calling him Lambert, <laughs> and we like that was our our evening was like shouting Lambert at the screen. But again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But yes, this film, Norwegian production, has been dubbed into English. We watched the Norwegian language version that has like a very funny way I think of translating a lot of these names that don't match <laughs> what they're saying at all. But Thomas Rimsvik himself, as I said, he's an in he makes Rube Goldberg type inventions, really intricate, goofy looking things, very fantastical. His life itself is quite fantastical. He lives on the top of this huge cliff above the town of Pinchcliff. It's absurd that he lives up there as a bicycle repairman, doesn't get very much business, takes forever for people to get up there even if they have a motorized vehicle. But he lives a quiet, comfortable little life and with his buddies. He's got Sonny Duckworth, a magpie who's, uh, you know, an early riser, optimist, good mood. And then there's uh, my cherished Lambert, a.k.a. Ludwig. He's a hedgehog and a hopeless romantic despite his hay fever. Yep. One day on the news, they learn that a former assistant of Theodore Rimspoke, Mr. Gore Slimy, has uh, (laughs) kind of like... Put together a really hot rod car, and he's winning Formula One races uh, left and right. This guy's untouchable. So Thomas Rim spoke, thinks, man, I should, I should make like a sick ass ride, you know. And uh, with the <laughs> helpful um, sponsorship. Of an Arab oil sheik named Abdul Ben Bonanza and his uh, gorilla that he like has as a servant, uh, he funds the project, and the the rest of the film is them sort of putting together this supercar that they're then going to use in a big grand prix for the final thirty minutes of this film. You know, I I loved it. I, it's a delight. It's you know it's got some weird really weird qualities but overall it's just this colorful nice thing. I had a great time and I really like stop motion films. I haven't seen one like this in a very long time. You know I think about how disappointed I was when I saw Guillermo del Toro's dorky Pinocchio film and how it's this object that was so state-of-the-art that it was totally unimpressive, right? The stop-motion looked so good in Pinocchio that to me it didn't even look like stop-motion anymore. And Pinchcliffe Grand Prix reminded me of why I like stop-motion so much. Because I love those little imperfections, I love the handmade quality. I want that car. I want little toys of all these guys. They, they're just so pleasant to be around and I want them on a little shelf. I want a t-shirt. I love it all. I think it's an adorable little thing. Uh, and I'm happy I picked it because it ties in really well with uh, Mr. Jan Fossa winning the nobel prize for literature today norway little norway shot out uh guy nobel bullshit <laughs> I, know. You know. I just like became obsessed with this guy over the summer so it's this nice little like synchronicity with uh norway um but yeah that is uh, i'm excited to hear what <laughs> you two thought of this thing but that is the Pinchcliffe grand prix from 1975 directed by evo caprino
2: Wouldn't be a high-velocity conversation about screeching tires and roaring engines without Ryan sneaking in a little book nook shout-out, you know? Yep. Anyway, (laughs) thank you both. Thanks for the the films. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I loved these movies. They were both uh, very fun um, for, obviously, like, Different reasons, um, but but also some of the same. I mean, these are both movies about racing, and and they both have a lot of that in them. Uh, certainly in the Pinchcliff, uh, it, it takes a little while for us to get to the race, but when we do. Holy crap, does it deliver. It is, it is quite the 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 stop motion spectacle. Um and and very impressive indeed. But yeah, I, I hadn't seen either of the films before. Obviously, Marsh, of course, I do remember your your glowing initial review of Pit Stop. And I, I have to say, I think in the history of of certainly my tenure on this podcast, um, I think this was like the quickest I'd ever seen you decide on a film because I mean I I pretty much gave you both the topic and and right after we finished recording Marsh was like I'm gonna do pit stop <laughs> it was like <laughs> an instantaneous yeah, one
1: I'm never like that
2: yeah I mean you were like I could see it in your eyes I was like all right we're watching pit stop and I'm I'm all for it because uh, what you told me was was certainly something I wanted to get my eyes on so
0: I almost did the same thing like I immediately thought I'm going to pick. Herbie fully loaded. But then I thought, <laughs> I can't do another early aughts troll after I did Passion of the Christ, which itself kind of wasn't a troll. That ended up being like a really fascinating thing, but it seemed like Herbie really would not have. So I'm very glad that I didn't go in that direction. I am too. I'm very <laughs> glad that you didn't. I'm very
2: glad that you brought us the Pinchcliffe Grand Prix because, uh, uh, again, it's another example of one of those things that that I I don't know when or 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 how I would have stumbled across this this oddity. It's never, it is it is the absolute <laughs> epitome of something that like I would not have sought out on my own. But I am so so glad, you know. I have to say, like, you know, uh, we've we've been down this territory before, where it's like Ryan pulls some obscure European children's movie out of his <laughs> back pocket, yep. and I'm, I'm I go into it with like, oh, here we go, you know, it's let's. let's the harmony co-op all over again and i would say yeah. like the harmony co-op it completely won me over in a way that i i did not expect at all um but yeah i think right off the bat you know these these movies again while their 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 construction couldn't be more um you know um contrary to one another uh, they do share, I think, a lot of similarities, and and you know, I think one of the first things we could do is maybe discuss, you know, a little bit more of of like who these films. Are are centered around because I think both of these characters are are kind of interesting and, and fit in the sort of archetype of uh, uh central figures you see in a lot of like auto racing movies, you know? Uh these kinds of of sort of like loner weirdo figures who who suddenly suddenly get into the world of racing, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean in uh in Pit Stop, it's uh it's classic. You know, he is Uh, Rick, the sort of individualist rebel hero. And the film is very concerned with sort of his conception of independence, Mm -hmm. right? And freedom uh, within the confines of the racing structure. And it actually more than once made me think of the lusty men on this rewatch, where I'm thinking about men driven to the brink by these thrills the threat of death, the specter of death looming every race, you know. Um, And it has this very, yeah, heavy existential quality to it, uh, which is another funny thing that Hill has talked about. He always wanted this film to to be shown in Europe because he thought it would go over great. And when it was eventually, you know, screened there, like the 90s, he's like, they're still screening it over there, you (laughs) know. They went nuts for it the minute they could see it, it it is this, like, loner existential sort of, you know, journey that, that he's going through with all these colorful characters uh,
2: around him, you know? Yeah, and it's got, I mean, like, I can see especially why, you know, this would be, like, so popular in Europe because it has that that, you know, sort of, like, raw, rugged... Americana. Yeah. Like uniquely American. yeah,
1: Like the setting, the race, like the culture. Yeah. I mean, it feels very like regional, you yeah. know?
2: And, and like, it's, it's easy for this kind of vibe to, to translate to sort of, again, like kind of like route 66 kitsch at a certain point of, you know, Oh, here's the guy with the jeans and the boots and the, and the pompadour. Right. And his, you know, 57 Chevy souped up with a, with a 370, you know, cubic engine or some shit like that. Yeah, right. Hot rod magazine. Yeah. Leaning on the hood of the car. Right. As they're getting ready to drag. Like it's got that kind of vibe, but, but this like, uh, That energy is so real. And again, I think because of the fact that it is this sort of like cheapo that was leaning very heavily on like actual people and an actual scene, you know, there's an almost like anthropological aspect to this film exploring a subculture, like a subculture that did kind of exist and it is this thing that seems like too crazy to fucking actually believe but like the rodeo right there's a a whole like system there's a there's a hierarchy and and there are rules and traditions and all these kind of rituals that yes like the the lusty men we 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 are like carried into by these yeah rebellious loner loner types and it was funny too cuz it got me reflecting on like just the whole like for lack of a better term, like vibe of the opening of this film, you know, with the soundtrack. Dude, the walking bassline. Yes, so the sick. fucking walking bassline. Like just these like random like souped up cars just kind of pulling into this kind of empty like American street and like lining up and you know something's gonna go down and everybody's looking so fucking cool. Like it got me thinking about. <laughs> funny enough right like talking about the kitsch of it all like our conversation about deuces wild last week right and that's like what happens eventually right it's like oh remember how cool all that shit used to be and then you get a bunch of like hack 90s actors like going around pretending they're dick davalos right but not on their wildest day not on their best day could they carry the kind of like you know, uh, sweat, they couldn't They couldn't carry it all, you know, they couldn't carry it, any of it. Um, and it also got me thinking about, like, I think all of our really kind of like, I think we all had a, a disastrous reaction to the new uh, Nichols movie coming out that seems, you know, what is it, The Bike Riders? Yeah that again is like it's like it's just so obsessed with the kitsch of it all right the look and everyone yeah. like posing and looking so cool and 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 it's like a fucking coffee table book this is not a coffee table book this like smacks of a certain like yeah almost almost like poetic like ugliness that that you know comes from those streets and like you said in your intro like it's because he went and saw this thing actually existed and then was kind of like, that's it. Right. Like I'm going to get in there.
0: Yeah. I would say similarly, the ideal I aspire for can be seen with the authenticity of someone like Theodore Rimspoke spoke and that man's loner life. That's something that could easily be turned into kitsch, but there's something about just that purity of of his loner lifestyle and the peace he has cuz that's like the biggest difference. I hadn't actually considered how similar these protagonists were and you're you're very right Andy and I think that's like something fun that links these movies but I think the difference being while one is very existential I do think that Mr. Rim spoke Uh, has really found his peace and he's found his rhythm. And even in moments of crisis, he kind of has just a relaxed smile on his face because he's still just doing what he wants to do and he's having a very nice time doing it. I mean, he, he chose to have his bicycle repair shop at the top of this giant cliff, because he, you know, he knew that he'd rather just not have to deal with the business of it all. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's got other things to do. Like yeah, he's got to like sit yeah. and watch TV with his buddies eating de wrinkled raisins because everybody just deserves a treat in the evening every night. <laughs> like when then. Lundvig asked for the
1: licorice, I fucking lost my shit. That was like.
0: I'm sorry. Like I can't get over. I'm gonna call him Lambert. But Lambert, (laughs) he is maybe my new favorite creation in all of animation. Ever? Yeah, truly. His every single second, every frame, every painstakingly animated frame of Ludwig slash Lambert is such a, a delight it really is and at the joke we came last night when we were watching it i could just kept saying to molly i'm like you're lambert like everything about this guy like this is your life like this is how you go about everything which is like really nice you know same expressions same same fears same secret courage and being you know smart at the right times very nice but yeah i mean rim spoke you know he he is someone who is obsessed with with the nuts and bolts of his productions and the joy of, uh, or of his inventions and the things he's creating and the joys of that. And I think that Pit Stop has a lot of that too. The the inner workings of a car, the subculture, the being, being obsessed with the nuts and bolts of all of it, but not really making a big show of it, you know, just having this proficiency. And I do think that that's something that links these loners. The difference, of course, is that, uh, Pinchcliffe has sort of socialist
1: values, and uh, pit stop uh, not only has existential values, but in the narrative of the film, as uh, Don Levy says, uh, it's Darwinian, it's war, it's winners and losers. That's what it is. That's what racing is. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and it's pitched on those very American terms. And, and in a sense, yes, he's he's right. You know, uh, especially because he is pitting his own racers against each other, you know, yeah. to maximize his profit, to maximize his potential success. He's not just letting these guys loose on other drivers and they're, you know, destroying other drivers or whatever, but, like, no, he's pitting his own guys against each other in this, like, evil game of uh, of chess. Oh, know? yeah,
2: yeah. And I think, again, that's something that I really really admired about the film is just how incredibly like from the get-go like there is no uh, there's not a touch of sentimentality here there's there's nothing even romantic about this I mean you could maybe make the argument that that yes, something like Lusty Men does also like get into the kind of like you know, the, the the masculine romance of the rodeo. This, everyone is a fucking, like, asshole, a cutthroat. Drunk. A drunk, a loudmouth, or, you know, uh, like somebody who's who's downright like uh on 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 like a death drive essentially you know like that's it that's that's who populates this world and like yeah don levy of course is the most like at first anyway the, the most like inherently like villainous character that that makes it very clear like how transactional all of his interactions are with people. You know, it, he he of course witnesses this this opening drag race between uh you know, Rick and just some like some dweeb. Some guy, some four eyes guy. Yeah, you some know? buddy
1: Holly. Like, yeah,
2: some, some fucking yeah, buddy Holly <laughs> guy, you know. And uh and the race of course is aborted once the guy kind of like loses his crashes into a fucking house. Yeah. And that, like literally <laughs> Smashes house was that? Yeah, some person's fucking front door. They made you know? this movie for seventy five thousand dollars. I know and they and they like they really did just like run a car like straight into the front of some fucking like house. <laughs> you know and like pomona or whatever you know wherever they are racing yeah, redondo beach <laughs> yeah yeah you know um but like yeah don levy like clearly sees something in him and and yeah maybe it's just that he's like got ice water in his veins or he he looks cool or or maybe there's also because i think this film does have it there there are these kind of like uh, whiffs of of homoerotic attraction between yeah. you know the various drivers and and certain there's a sexually charged undercurrent throughout yes absolutely I mean there's there's of course like women but but like. There are lusty men in this And they're holding
1: like auto parts and stuff like that, you know, at various points, which is always a giveaway, as Kenneth
0: Anger taught us. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure.
0: A quality that's totally absent from Pinchcliffe Grand Prix, like not even a (laughs) whiff of anything like that. (laughs) Uh, I disagree, actually. Uh, I feel like... um, Oh, what, you mean like Sonny Duckworth and and Lambert?
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, not Lambert, (laughs) but... Uh, no, 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 no. Solon, a.k.a. Sonny, uh, he has a little sort of like what I was thinking of as like oh, a gonzo-esque uh, sort right. of romance with the sheik's uh, bird lady, lady yeah. bird. Yeah,
0: his magpie, yeah. Yeah,
1: the other magpie, and it's like in in all this the... Uh, you know, Muppet movies where Gonzo's always making eyes with like a hen, you know, like a, a chicken or a hen. And it's like that. A lot of like ogling uh under the sheik's nose. But you I, know? I, I kept
2: cracking up That's because true. like it seemed, it, 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 it seemed like when you introduce something like that, you know, that like, oh yeah, the sheik shows up and he's got a little magpie chica or whatever, you know, he's got his little like girl, like, ah, clearly they're going to build up something between Sunny and her. But like, Aside from Sonny kind of making eyes at her, like, that goes absolutely nowhere. Like, she never right. even, like, talks to him. Like, there's even, like, this moment where I laughed where they're, like, sitting, I think at the race or something at some point or at some event. And, like, he kind of, like, leans around the chic Sonny does, and, like, waves at her. Like, hey, you know, like, how you doing? And she doesn't even, like, wave back. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, totally... <laughs> Unrequited, yes, you yes, know. Yes. So I guess yeah, it's, maybe, it's
1: small, but I'm just saying. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, I picked up on it. Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm. I can't believe I forgot the vivid image of a like wow. magpie lady belly dancing with a gem on her belly, and then clearly yes. what must have been like the animator's people. finger inside the belly of this puppet <laughs> to do the <laughs> belly dancing. <laughs> you know, just like wagging the finger around. Man, yeah, but these two worlds, I mean, the scene setting, it just couldn't be any different, because you're right, Marsh, I hadn't thought about that, like, socialist utopia of Pinchcliffe and the the, the village itself, because when we start and we got, you know, oh, the big wide shot of the town, everyone looks so happy, we're like, oh, they've got a cheese factory, and there's a couple really nice campsites, and everything's just in order. The mailman may be colorblind and keep getting run over by vehicles, but everybody loves this guy, everything's okay. And then Pit Stop... I just it was so vivid. One of those opening images of them just driving the car over the puddle of spilled beer and yes, some of the, the sh- switch can. Yeah, like what a radical juxtaposition with the color of the Pinchcliffe Grand Prix. You know, like you're right, like this this is crueler world where like that is like that's the standard right at the top these are people who are pit against each other and taking advantage of each other purely for profit yeah just the spaces of the film are are
1: harsh junkyards and the 190 club which is like a car racing bar like motels you know it's this very like underbelly transient sort of like thing you know um
0: it's just yeah, such an amazing very... looking movie. I <laughs> yeah, it looks I, great. Yeah, I was obsessed with the way that that pit stop looked, all around. I mean, it's it's nice seeing something from '69 shot in black and white, just on the streets of LA like that. It's a very specific vibe and, and sheen, I guess, to 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 that era. And I think what's so cool about it is that it creates
2: this kind of like weird uncanny space that makes the film feel like outside of time mm-hmm. in that it it's like it, it a lot of the cars they're driving as well are like much older older, yeah. older models And, and the way everyone's kind of like dressed, I mean, some people have like a sort of like late sixties fashion, but like, I kept watching this movie and be like, yeah, this is like 1957 or something like that. You know, it's, 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 it, it looks decades older than, than it actually is. And I think that, that, yeah, screening it in something like 2023, it's just this strange, this strange object that that you know feels almost like you know some some kind of like you know folk almost like a folk song that somebody has yeah. sung like over and over again. Like this is just a different version of it. And you know, we even kind of get that aspect. I think again, like like in the Lusty Men of of this idea of sort of like, hey, you know, you guys are just the latest like meat pushing these hunks of steel around. Like this has been going on for a long time. and and it it chews people up and it spits them out. Like the constant are like you know roaring engines and 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 cars you know moving very fast but but the people are the ones that are changing it's it's like they're able to like keep these cars alive and and running like longer than than the human bodies that that occupy them you know there's that like awesome moment where when rick is uh he's sort of like struggling uh and and i i like how we see his kind of like journey progress because of course he is a, a very confident man at first as he rolls in there and and more or less predicts right off the bat, you know, he's going to be a great champion. He's going to win his first race. And he gets like dumped unceremoniously. Yeah, like starts a fist fight. Flipped. On yeah, just just, you know, completely wipes out in his in his first go around. And he sort of struggles, you know, like to 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 make his way. Until, like, a certain older figure kind of comes in to give him a few pointers and help train him. This old guy That guy
1: felt so real.
2: Well, what I noticed in the credits, and I don't know if you either looked into this, but, like, you know, there's all these actors listed, and then there's a whole title card that had all these names saying, like, as, like, themselves. Mm. And I have to imagine that was Jack Hill, like, you know, in the figure eight circuit being like, hey, let's get some of these guys who hang out at these tracks, you know, these actual race car drivers. And that dude definitely has the vibe, the energy oh, of yeah. like, yeah, he's 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 speaking from actual experience that he has racing. And of course, driving, we see him like driving this car, this like decrepit, broken down old man, Gets into one of these like hunking pieces of steel and and is just like m- making it sing you know like making it move effortlessly around. Even though he lost his leg in twenty yeah, nine. Exactly that's the point right <laughs> that's, that's the point I'm getting at where he's just like telling me these stories and is like you know yeah I went to the wall once man that's what somewhere you don't want to be it happened back in twenty nine and again you're like forty fucking years ago or yeah. whatever and here's this guy limping around the track still you know like yeah
0: if Jack Hill told me that that was not. A a real guy that that was an actor I would say to Jack Hill that guy lied to you <laughs> like that's a real guy that is like the rawest realest dude you'll ever see in something like this I wanted a little documentary about him
1: yeah that's like knowledge that guy you know <laughs> yeah. for as stilted as his delivery is like he's not hesitating like a non-actor because he knows yeah. exactly what he's talking about
0: when I went into the turns I was on the low side Then I let the car drift towards the
2: center of the road so that I could protect both the outside and the inside. Now, if you want to pass the fella, you must first observe his pattern of driving. And if he goes into the turn on the low side, give your car a flat slide to the outside and cut in short. And then you've got him. Now, there's just one more thing. If you haven't learned how to play a harp, stay away from that wall. (laughs) Okay. Now, let's try it again. All right. He's like going over like the intricacies of like how to pass someone and and he he explained it so like simply and effortlessly but i also was just like the geometry of what he just explained the physics of what he just explained it it was like a scientist like talking to you you know and here he is this fucking like toothless one-legged broken down old man and like He's he's on a whole, like, another level. And I just remember him being like, you got it? And just thinking to myself, like, no, not at all, dude. Like, <laughs> you made it sound way too easy right now.
1: Yeah, I think, like, in that spirit, you know, Pit Stop in the best way, of course, like any film at this budget, right, feels like a, a handmade film, you know? And mm-hmm. it feels very thoughtful and considered, even though it's also very ragged and haphazard. And one of the things that I noted in, in this watch was just how great the rear projection is integrated in the races, especially the way it's edited. But I watched an interview with Hill where he, it's on the Arrow DVD, where he explains they did their own rear projection. They couldn't afford to do professional rear projection. It was too expensive. And so they rigged up their own, you know, they shot their own plates they they rigged up like it's just the size of the frame, like the rear projection, you know, wow. it's like like just outside of the frame is nothing. They shot it in some guy's garage and they shot all of the in, all of that in one day. They got every actor to shoot all the car stuff in one day. And it's so well integrated, mostly because he keeps it very brief. And like watching this movie again, I was just really impressed with his editing. And now I have a theory, uh, which is sort of like a carpenter theory of editing. Uh, Jack Hill was a musician. He came to filmmaking later in life because he had a a career as a session musician. And I found this fascinating. He became an expert in an obscure Hungarian instrument. And so he was basically a player on anything Eastern European
2: uh, (laughs)
1: in the 1950s. He played on Dr. Zhivago as a session player. He played on all these great scores just as a musician and then drifted into film, enrolled in UCLA, was classmates with Coppola, worked with Hellman and Corman, you know, just one of those guys. But it was like, he drifted to it late in life. And I'm thinking this guy knows music when you watch the editing. Yeah. It's so good. It's so fucking good. Rhythmically. Just like a guy like John Carpenter who grew up around, Parents who were classical musicians—it's like
0: that
2: metronome, yeah. you know? it, it literally doesn't miss a beat, you know. Like, yeah,
0: I can very sure. easily imagine him sitting in Monty Hellman's den with some <laughs> instrument Hellman had never heard of before, just you know, setting setting the mood. Everyone hanging out on the shag carpet.
2: I'm, I'm, I was, I was more picturing like, you know, he's sitting in some some recording session. Uh, they, they got like on the screen, you know, some some shitty scene from Dr. Zhivago, and he's got like a balalaika, and he's just looking at that, going, I could make one of these better than this guy. You know, <laughs> like this, <laughs> this movie sucks, you know? I should make movies, man. It's like this. All right, you yeah. know? The Symbolum.
1: A type of chordophone composed of a large trapezoidal box on legs with metal strings stretched across its top and a damping pedal underneath.
0: Hell yeah, dude. Told you. It's insane. And here I am staring and looking at the Pinchcliffe Grand Prix thinking like, God, I wish I was even remotely as talented as these animators being to like have this job. I'm sure it's like very arduous and like unbelievably painstaking. But the idea of just like playing with all those little figurines all day, when Molly was watching it, she said, how do I just get the job of someone who knits the scarves and sweaters? of little creatures <laughs> in animated films like this, you know. Well, from what I read it was a very small
1: crew. So yeah. again, it is a very like handmade film of course. I mean all stop stop motion films are handmade films, but like really this felt yeah, it did it feels like a vision. Uh, not mm-hmm. something made by a company or something like that, right? Just a bunch of goofs being like, "Oh, and what if all these animals then like played a, played in the band in the courtyard, you know, at the car unveiling?" And I wanted to bring up, of course, is wait, who busts out the harp? Uh, the, the mouth, mouth harp. harp, Ludwig, right? Yeah, Lambert. Andy, you gotta love that.
2: I did. I appreciated that. You know, as a as a. As a harp uh, player myself, you know, uh, <laughs> yes, I I did really, I, I, I felt the jamboree. I, I wished I'd been a part of it, you know. That
0: that may, reminds me of a connection that only just clicked right now for me when you were mentioning how Jack Hill was an actual musician. I did read that Evo Caprino, the director and animator of Pinchcliffe himself, was like a great respecter of just like authentic music and instruments in, in film and in animation, and He was very intentional during that big jamboree when everyone's playing instruments that the notes and the performances that they're doing like with their fingers on all the wind instruments and on the drums actually match the real notes that are being played. Uh, in in the audio track. He was like that much of a perfectionist when it came yeah. to but that. That
1: Hollywood that. bullshit where right. they're just playing whatever. Yeah, I was about to
0: <laughs> say,
2: my students just watched Johnny Guitar, which has got to be like top five, like worst, you know. Sterling said he couldn't play, you know. <laughs> when mean, they yeah. said deal with it yeah who cares (laughs) (laughs) yeah It's, it's exactly exactly what's going on there for sure yeah i mean like that's that's the thing that you know you can really sort of marvel at while you watch watch the film is is the attention to detail in in the Pinchcliffe grand prix to all of the objects the entire world i mean it it was way more intricate and elaborate than, than I, was, I was expecting. And I just found myself just staring at, at so many of these tiny little objects and just being like, look at the amount of craft in just creating this thing, his fucking desk yeah. that he's working on, and just being like, every single one of those little things they built, you know? The cars, my God, the, the detail on the cars, and especially like his car, which, which of course just has so many insane like levers and buttons and, and light up switches. I mean, yeah, it's... that
1: dashboard just like made me
2: nervous. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know? Especially compared to like the stripped down, like, you know the uh, steel <laughs> and rub, yeah that these guys are in for sure <laughs> i mean
0: yeah i couldn't believe how many things were always moving in pinchcliff grand prix because it's even the camera itself there was so many moments of the camera zooming in dollying sliding back and forth while things were still moving even in the background where there's depth, where there's characters looking at things if they're spying on someone and they're moving in the camera tracks and all those things are still moving in the background. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's unbelievably impressive. It's the kind of thing you expect from a really big budget, like Chicken Run or something, you know, like a big budget stop-motion animated film that had resources like that Hollywood would have. And just imagining this in 1975, and especially being like a Norwegian child, Oh, my God. No wonder this thing was in theaters every day for 28 years. Yeah. I mean, it is it
2: is one of those things that I I think you could like at any age you could watch this movie and like and and just uh, be enraptured by by something else, you know, and obviously maybe also the same things, but like yeah, if you're a kid, obviously, this shit's goofy. it rocks. Everybody's cute and weird and funny and it's colorful. it's bright. it's constantly moving. it's constantly flowing. But yeah, if you're an adult, you just sit there going like, Jesus Christ, look at the world. you know like right. look at the work that went into this. this is amazing, you know, and yeah, there's also magic, of course, you know, but but you do just sit there and and really kind of appreciate that yeah that that quality that man again like even in even in things where you've got computers you know animating shit today and and you can kind of get a computer to do anything they cut so many fucking corners compared to what these people had to do yeah with their their fingers and and i'm imagining like like magnifying glasses and tweezers and all i know shit you know Well,
1: you know, I, uh, I consulted with the only Norwegian I know on, on Twitter, uh, shout out Olav. And he said, uh, you know, they've remade this or they've basically like spun it off three times Mm since 1998, uh, and he said none of them hold a candle to the original, you know, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But, you know, it was nice to hear that confirmed. You know.
0: Yeah, I saw the one from 98 is a hand-drawn animation. And then the subsequent two, I think, were computer animated or yeah, just I really bad so. uh, stop motion. But yeah. they look really cheap. They look like straight-to-video stuff. And there's the Nintendo Switch game that, <laughs> that came out uh, <laughs> like two years ago that looks just dreadful and i assumed mm. it was like a racing game and it's not it like goes through the film and it's a series of mini games as relates to different scenes there's a scene where you build the car il tempo gigante <laughs> oh, God, uh, and yeah. it's just like a point and click moving the pieces around but since you were talking about the dashboard of the vehicle itself there was a joke i think i understood but i also like don't know if I understood and I just wanted to ask you guys like what the hell it meant is when they're when they're first showing off the car at that big jamboree and there's all the music and he's showing off all the features of it he does point out the fact that he has three vials of blood on the side of the car and he's got like the two different blood types and then there's another one that's blue in case they come across like an aristocrat like what
2: the what? What was that? I, I have no fucking idea. Like I, that went way over my head. Yeah, I mean, that Norwegian must be, humor. Yeah, I was gonna say. That's some, yeah, that's some like fucking like very obscure Norwegian stuff yeah. going on there. And maybe maybe you know, yeah, your friend on I'll Twitter I'll could yeah. could yeah. help us What's out with, with that? that
0: one. Like, yeah. yeah.
1: I like, yeah, no, I'm with you. I got it, but I didn't get it at all. Right. It's like, oh, this is <laughs> yeah. some kind of yeah, <laughs> some European humor, right? Yeah. It's like,
0: sure, the royalty is like different blood, right? Like, oh, they're royalty, the monarchy. But then I'm like, just like, what the hell? Like, why is he? Is this just like if he hits? Someone or if yeah. someone else is driving it? Like, who just, what? yeah
2: why trans, have, look, Like, for a transfusion or I'll something? Stick, You're probably
0: going to need a lot more than a
2: vial if right. you uh are spilling blood on the asphalt or whatever. <laughs> why not keep it know? in the glove box? Why have it on the outside of the vehicle? Yeah, the sun, the sun's going <laughs> to fuck that shit up, you know? It's going to be useless. <laughs> You're going to poison somebody.
1: Look, I'll stick with the humor I understand. Like, the fact that the local TV station is just, like, people in the town, right? They're not, like, professionals. Oh, so yeah. everyone's always being introduced, like, by their job. But there's a recurring reporter who's the local pig farmer. Uh, and we're, we're first introduced to him when they're all watching TV at the beginning. And he's like, the, the situation in the Middle East is really intense. And then he, like, blows up at the news station, <laughs> yeah. which is, like, an insane <laughs> gag. <laughs> situation, her for chat spent in me dustin. I love that, like all that so much. Um, and it relates to like, it's such a 70s movie for obvious yeah. reasons, like Aladdin oil, the oil chic. And I had to do, you know, just like a cursory, uh, you know, Wikipedia check because I was like, Norway's all about oil, right? Well, of course, but that started happening at this point in time. Like they discovered their oil in like 1969.
0: Mm. And so I'm watching
1: this like, yeah, this is some weird movie about like normalizing oil production in Norway. Like because the Sheik is not the villain. The Sheik does not double cross them. Sheik does no. not do anything like they would in an American movie, like ooh, the sheik. Because I'm thinking, like, is he entering into a situation like Rick yeah. with Grant Willard? You know, is this a deal with the devil? And it's like, no. Aladdin Oil is fully behind this operation. Yeah. No questions asked. Fully funded. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, he
0: wants them to win the race so he can well, ultimately course. like make more money for himself. But like yeah. otherwise, I mean, yeah, there's no secret terms because they are a little nervous at the beginning when he's asked when they ask Rimspoke to sign the contract. I believe it's, uh, I think it's Sonny Duckworth. that's like, you know, or maybe it's it's Ludwig Lambert. One yeah. of them says, he's like, the cautious one. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he you don't like... want to sign this thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, he he wanted him to bad. use, like,
1: specifically Aladdin oil, and, and Rimspoke laid it down. He was like, bro, I make my own oil. Get the fuck out of here with that yeah. shit. Wait do you,
2: <laughs> you see my special mix, you know? <laughs> And, like, I did love that, like, scene, like, later in the film when they, they actually are at a pit stop, unlike in the movie Pit Stop, yeah. where there's no real, like, pit yeah, stop was, moment. Yeah. But when yeah. they stop at the pit stop and they've got, you know, spokes special fuel blender or whatever, and they're filling up the car and, like, one of these old fuckers that's just, like, hanging out, like, gets, like, a ladle full of it and just, like, sips on it. And he's like, mm, you know, like, <laughs> this shit's good, dude. I think they make the point that it is like pure alcohol or whatever, right. but it's like green, you know it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, that's some that's some potent stuff everybody in Pinchcliffe is is uh <laughs> sampling the the fuel <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, the car fuel, but it's cool too to compare it then like to. Like, we kind of already were, like, the 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 benefactor in...
0: <laughs> in
2: <Yeah. laughs> we've already talked about him a little bit, but, but I guess I just wanted to take another moment to, to talk about, like, Willard, and, and specifically Brian Donlevy, who is, I have to say... Uh, one of the most drunk looking guys I, oh, I think yeah. I've seen in any movie. Like, you know, they have all these moments where at the races, they're like cutting to like the announcer's booth or whatever. And he's of course up yeah, there up in the skybox. Yeah. In the skybox, dude. He's got like, he's got real skybox energy. Because like, I kept like thinking like, If you look at Don Levy, he's got like, he's got like one arm on the table and he's got his other arm underneath the table and he's kind of like hunched over at a certain angle. And I was like, he's got a bottle under there, a cup of something, you know, and he's just like, when they're rolling the camera, he keeps like putting it underneath the table. But I was like, man, he's just glugging from that thing. And like the scene where he's like, he's with the announcer who uh, is just kind of being like, boys, folks, this is some figure eight racing or whatever. And that's when Don Levy gives his kind of philosophical kind of like treatise on what this is. And I was just like dying. I was laughing so hard because it's like, I know it's probably scripted, but it had kind of a like, he's just like improving feel to it because he's just kind of talking about, like he said, winners and losers and stuff like that. And then he kind of like pauses and he's just like, I busted a lot of hits training my company in the Marines, but when they got into action,
1: they led the whole division and decorations received what was left
2: of them. And it just kind of like hangs there. It's just this real like dark moment. And again, the implication being that like, this was an officer who just like ordered guys to their fucking death, you know, and now he's just talking about it. Like, he's fucking John Madden, and he
0: has that, like, drunk John Madden (laughs) kind of energy, Holy shit, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, and I'm, like, not even a football guy, but I was like, this is John Madden energy. That's, (laughs) like, what I kept thinking about with
2: him. I kept thinking, like, he is John Madden, dude. He's just this, like, broken down drunk that's just saying whatever's off the top of his head in the booth, you know? Yeah, and I think...
1: That, that scene to me and the cut away from that scene like epitomizes this movie where Don Levy says you know his, his trailer worthy line where he's like Brad, where do you manage to find these guys anyway? There's a suicide born every minute. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then it just cuts to Rick with sunglasses on and a blowtorch and the funky bass like <laughs> and I'm like yeah. god damn yeah like it's, it's so American like death that's it it's just American death, you know? Like <laughs> in a funky baseline <laughs> while we're working on our car in the meanwhile. Yeah, man.
2: And you know, you also gotta put that in the context of when this film was released, like the height of the fucking fatalism of the Vietnam War. Certainly by I mean, I know this was shot in sixty seven, but you know, I think for America. Also like, a bleak time. Yeah. Also a bleak time. But yeah, the late sixties and, and just Americans being like, yeah, dude, like death, you're going to get drafted. You're just going to send, get sent to die in Vietnam. Yeah, like You
1: get drafted uh, by Grant Willard in figure eight racing. I yeah. Mean, he's basically drafted.
2: Yeah. You know? I mean, the, the, the opening, it, 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 there's a really great bookend of shots in this film. They're not like the, the precise bookends, but like, He has this like framing that he uses twice, like first when Don Levy goes, and as you put it, like drafts him out of jail, right? And he has it framed where we we just have this like perfect like full shot of the the police station, and like in the center frame is just the doorway, and it's 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 just this awesome shot of of Davalos in the doorway of the jail, and it's just like perfectly kind of like composed and framed shot. It was very like. Kurosawa-esque, you know, like just straight lines, everything very geometric and a a telephoto lens kind of like flattening it out a little bit. Um, And then we see that same kind of setup at the end of the film, not to get too far ahead of ourselves when he's leaving the hospital. You know, to go on to like nationals or wherever the fuck they're going, the 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 bigger races, that, that sort of thing. And and again, you know, with Don Levy sort of like dragging this guy along to presumably like his death, you know? Awesome shit, man. No doubt about it. Yeah. But but yeah, that that fatalism that I think like speaks so well to You know, the 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 really cool shit of like the kind of like new Hollywood era
0: and America at the time. And it's interesting when bad vibes actually do creep into Pinchcliffe Grand Prix, something that is so delightful. And I actually couldn't even really figure out what the bad blood was between Gore Slimy and his former mentor. Mr. Rimspoke, did they ever really outline why? Cause they keep talking about like, oh, this gore slimy, like he is just up to his skull duggery. Like, was it that he just got like a hot head and then felt really challenged by the idea of Rimspoke building a new vehicle? Or was like I couldn't tell if there was other bad blood. He
1: stole his design.
0: Yeah. He he broke from the, the co-op and and oh. went out on his own
2: and stole so he's out design. there, yeah. He's out there winning F1
1: races mm. with designs that he took from the lab. Wow, you know? that sucks. Yeah. I can't
0: believe I didn't even pick up on that. That is that is skullduggery. I know yeah. that the characters <laughs> keep asking, like, what does skullduggery mean? But like, that's what skullduggery means. That's well,
2: the definition right yeah. there. And they yeah. actually,
1: too, you know, shout out Ryan. You actually you win the week because uh they reference Ferrari. Uh, in yeah. Pinchcliffe Grand Prix, which <laughs> was uh, very nice, you know, just to see that and hear
0: that in Norwegian. Yes. You know? Yeah. Man, I, I love Gore Slimy, though, and I love his assistant, this like little evil the crony. Guy? Yeah, yeah, that like looks like Frederick Wiseman. <laughs> like, yes. It's like skull shape. Um, Jesus Christ, But dude. they do their own little commando raid on the Pinchcliffe uh, yes. shop. You know, because they go in to, to futz with the car after yeah. they had, like, successfully finally put it together. Yeah, to sabotage the, the Tempo Gigante. Uh, yeah. And, and that's...
2: I'm glad you bring that up because that is, that is you know, one of my gripes with... with uh, I, I wouldn't say the film, but certainly with the, the auto racing team of, of Rimspoke and, and Ali Ben Bonanza, them, you know? <laughs> because it's like, look... Yeah, they... They, they, they didn't
1: do their due diligence.
2: Right. As you mentioned, you know, they all have referred to, you know, this guy as being like the essence of skullduggery of of yeah. of of malevolent sort of you know uh activity. And they are aware of the break in. And again, it's 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 our boy, Ludwig Lambert, who who, of course, like raises the alarm, you know, the the cautious one, of course, is like, hey, you know. This is a this is a place where sabotage could possibly occur. And I believe we are beset upon by villains. And and they they grab their their frying pans and their brooms and they, they go out to to you know to, to clear the to clear the building. But they know that somebody broke in. They know that that yeah. and they have to assume it was that. And they don't even check the car. They don't even give it a good once-over, which you'd think you'd really want to do. You'd want to investigate every inch of that car to see, okay, what did they do? They, they they clearly fucked with it in some way, shape, or form. But, of course, they don't. They're they're too pure of heart. You right. know? <laughs> or they, yeah. they think that they caught him just in time. That, of course, builds into the drama of race day. Did anyone
1: else think when gore slimy and his henchmen were driving up the cliff that they had an epic sorcerer moment when they got kind of stuck on the bridge for a second oh yeah dude the this suspension pre- bridge this predates sorcery as you know
0: oh okay, okay you know i mean freaking big siddle file <laughs> so you know what else it predates uh star wars episode one the phantom menace And one of the reasons like I was when I saw the poster and saw what these little guys looked like, I'm like, I'm picking this movie like this thing looks amazing. And one of the first videos I found when I looked it up was uh, a split screen side by side of the race in Pinchcliffe with the pod racing sequence in Phantom Menace. And I got to say, it's kind of a spitting image. suspect. It's wild. And, you know, and again, like. There, I don't know if it's full on conspiracy theory, but the big fans of Pinchcliffe do say, like, I mean, this g- George obviously saw this movie, played in theaters every day. It was like a sensation a cinephile. He probably would have came across it, cause all it's just all the same. You got Sebulba who fucks with his ride. You know, he he messes up the the pod, uh, Anakin's pod racer, and then when the race starts, you know his car, his pod racer doesn't start right away. Same for real Tempo Gigante, and then and then it's like moment for moment, it's it's replicating how dynamic that race is in the Grand Prix. It's so cinematic. And, it, I, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I, it well, while watching it in real time, watching the film, I'm like, yeah, this is the pod racing sequence. I think this was a huge inspiration. So Sorcerer and Phantom Menace uh, dealing with this.
1: Yeah. I'm, also, I'm also calling out, Tony Scott, rubbing is racing. You stole all your moves from Pit Stop. Uh, I learned that, of course, they shot the figure eight scenes with five cameras. And unlike shitty directors who put their crew in harm's way, uh, Jack Hill realized that they had no insurance, so <laughs> he had to be the one at the intersection. And he's actually, you see him in a shot on accident, but he was the cameraman operating at the intersection, so they had everyone else on the outside, and he was in the middle of the figure eight race, figuring, well... It's his goddamn film. If anyone's going to die, it'll be him, you know? Wow. So uh, you got to respect it.
2: And folks, I mean, I, I I cannot emphasize this enough. Like, that was uh, entirely possible when you see yeah, <laughs> yeah, the dudes. constant, constant, like, auto wrecks that result from one of these dumb Friday night fucking races. I mean... Holy shit. Well, fun part about that too is that th- I, this was
1: really noticeable to me on the second time, but one of the, like the the magic of this movie is that uh when people crash, the race doesn't stop. In real life the race stops like completely, you know, they clear the cars, they do the whole thing. But when people crash in this movie, he just cuts to more cars driving and by the time they whip around or get into another crash, you've completely forgotten about the cars that just crashed. It's like never ending. Yeah. Like there's no downtime. It just feels like constant crashes. Like it's c- crazy feeling. <laughs> and again, Hill was like, no one's ever pointed this out to me. You know, <laughs> no one's ever pointed it out to me.
2: They're like, you read red flag,
1: you know, like <laughs> doesn't exist in this movie. No. No.
2: Uh-oh. but it doesn't need to, you no. know? You just have the voice of the announcer and, like, I, I was just laughing. Yeah, which is awesome. And, again, like, it's it's a really, like, it's it's well-constructed on, on Jack Hill's part of being like, okay, cool, and we're just going to have in the background this announcer, like, helping us keep track of the action, the cars, and they're very good about, like, calling out the numbers and Car reminding zero, us. Car zero,
1: by the way. Mr. Zero, less than zero, <laughs> you know? Sure,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I also just, like, loved it because, like, the voice of the announcer is just constantly saying, like, That's figure-eight racing! Like, <laughs> and, yeah, it's just, like, I, I, I'm aware. Like, this is horrible. Stop this, somebody! You know? But he just keeps, like, calling it out. Like... Like we can't we can't realize what is happening here. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a nightmare. I, I actually went to a demolition derby once, uh, years ago, years ago, and and was like so eager in my like childhood imagination of being like, this is gonna be wild stuff. And I just remember it just being like just such a like a, a brutal slow like slog you know and just like watching guys just yeah like just demolish cars but like in my mind i was expecting them to go a lot faster yeah. than they were so this definitely kind of alleviated that that letdown of my first demolition derby because this in my mind is what a demolition derby is it oh, is yeah. guys going Full as speed. fast as they can <laughs> head first. The other thing about like demolition derby that like the intricacies of it that I only realized seeing one, like an actual one is most driving in demolition derby is done in reverse because your engine is in the front of your car. You don't want to smash your engine. So these guys are all driving in reverse and basically just like, you know, invertedly rear ending one another. That's the goal, you know, to clip a guy's engine, but with, your rear. In this, it's head-on. I mean, full frontal, like, just just, I mean, like, I don't understand how 20 people didn't die in the making of this movie. It's so unbelievably brutal. It's so violent.
1: Yeah, there's a whole, like, spectacle sequence that has nothing to do with the film in, like, pure exploitation fashion. They get all these crazy dune buggies and fancy dune cars under the guise of, like, oh, it's Don Levy's vacation for everyone, but he's just wheeling and dealing. What a piece of shit. Uh, But it's just kind of like a montage of, like, cool-ass buggy cars doing wheelies. I'm like, someone's going to die yeah. on these.
2: Those things uh, look straight out of Pinchcliffe Grand Prix too, the dude yeah, bunnies. Yeah, they're very like bespoke. <laughs> they are. They're like goofy, <laughs> they're elongated, you know?
1: Yeah. And it also, uh, it made me think of Durky because at a certain point, we don't have to get into the whole like uh, Ellen Burstein a subplot. But, oh, like, yeah. Rick runs off. She She's in this, her first film, Ellen McRae. Uh, she runs off with Rick and makes out with him in the desert, and it, like, looked to me like Durky, mm-hmm. um, which is a terrible thing to be thinking about. This is what the gauntlet has done to me. Like, two people are passionately
0: kissing, and I'm like, <laughs> Dirky, you know?
2: <laughs> what the fuck, man?
0: You've been dirky brain, dude. Yeah. Man, I'd love to go racing on dune buggies, though. It looks, like, oh, yeah. so fun. We almost yeah. went camping on the beach this summer uh, at a spot we had never been to before that was, like, in the Oregon dunes. But all the reviews said, like, yeah, you try to go to sleep, and then some fucking freaks just, like, drive over the dunes on a <laughs> dune buggy and almost run With over all your shit. Your yeah, yeah, they're like, my kids. I had to hide my kids. We had to get back in the car. <laughs> I was like, good lord. <laughs> it's like the yeah. culture is probably terrible, but it does look, like, so much fun it does i like that moment too though
2: because it also has the kind of line that in in any other like context you know the 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 line of dialogue in that moment you described is like laughable but somehow in this movie it like it was it was it was pure poetry it was so beautiful uh this is when then when rick you know he he goes and finds uh Ellen Burstyn who's the wife of of McLeod right yeah. this this hot shot but good guy driver he's a he's a pretty boy and he plays it straight he's not and it's in like
1: it. real racing too yes yes not figure eight.
2: yeah he's not into this smash mouth figure eight shit you know uh he goes and finds her and and they they have this moment where they're sitting there and and he's got like a beer that he just like chugs and then like whips out into the desert and says to her something along the lines of like is there any place left in this world where there aren't any old beer cans like that line in like any other situation you'd be like what the fuck is that? like that but it's somehow so like it's the perfect thing to say for this character in this movie at this time I mean, it, 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 oh God, I think it was like my favorite line in the whole movie. And then of course, while they're on the beach,
1: the sound of engines start to fade up and it's like the sound
2: bridge carrying them right back to the racetrack. It got me thinking a lot in this movie, just about the, the, the actor, Dick Davalos, as he's credited here, Richard Davalos, as he was credited in, in some other movies and thinking like, man, this guy He's got that look. I mean, he was in East of Eden with James Dean as his, his brother. brother. And, and it's like, yeah, like, this guy looks like James Dean's older brother for sure. So handsome. And I kept thinking to myself, like, aside from East of Eden, I was like, where have I seen him before? I know. I've seen him before. You know. I Kelly's he, Heroes. He is in <laughs> Kelly's Heroes. Ryan, have you ever seen Kelly's Heroes? Clint Eastwood.
0: No. It's, oh, no. Oh. Right. I, for a second, I thought it was the Roger Moore film.
2: Yeah. Uh, Kel, it's it's a Clint Eastwood joint, but it's a, a Brian G. Hutton film, mm. you know? And Richard Davalos is in there, and he's got no lines, maybe one line in the entire movie. He just plays, like, the cool sniper of, like, the unit. Like, that's his kind of vibe. It's but Rickles has all the lines. Right? But I was thinking, like, like man, like, watching him here, like... It's like he's he's fucking compelling, man. He's so good. And like, was his deal just kind of like a hopper-esque thing of like kind of getting lost in the late sixties and seventies? I don't know much about him. Yeah, there's not much out there, yeah. but it's like, dude, this guy was fucking handsome as shit. And he had that like cool, like, yeah, like devil may care, like, I don't give a shit. That that perfectly summarizes a certain type of hero found. In movies of like the late 60s and early 70s. But like, for me, this is like a star making turn. Obviously, it's a tiny ass movie that like yeah. nobody saw at the time. But like, God damn, I wish there was more shit with him like like this, you know, in this vibe, in this mode. It's
1: crazy how all of the main actors are good, you know, in a movie like this low budget. Obviously, You know, it's on a spectrum. Like, Don Levy, of course, he, like, is maybe dying. <laughs> he died, like, five years later, four years later. But, uh, you know, he looks stiff, you know? But oh, he's yeah. still, you know, when he's got the suit and sunglasses on, like, you wouldn't want anyone else, yes, you know? Yes,
2: when, when he doesn't have to, like, move around or necessarily talk too much. Like, he does look like a nice, like, sober presence. But, like, yeah. there's one scene with Don Levy where... <laughs> where he's like he's like at the like the fancy garage or whatever with the cloud. and like he, he's got like a phone call or something someone's like you know like you know willard phone for you or whatever and it is like a, a a an oddly long sequence of just kind of like the camera tracking him as he kind of walks through the whole garage and he's like frankenstein's monster the way he's trying to like make sure he's not like weaving too much or bumping into like the, 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 the shit that's in the garage like I was very impressed with his ability to like keep a straight line going for that. But, but yeah, speaking to like all the great performances, I mean like the, the thing that really like, yes, I mean, there's a lot of surprises in this film, obviously like the awesome car racing and, and all these just cool ass people, but like, man, the, the relationship throughout the film of Rick and Hawk and, and just the, the play between Rick, da- uh, Dick Davalos and, and Sid Haig like was, was just the essence of like, again, this kind of like cry macho shit we talked about before, like seeing their, like their rivalry, their hatred, their, they're like violent, uh, uh, like sort of climactic moment, uh, where Sid Haig after getting flipped in his like fancy fucking ride, like, tracks down Davalos and just beats him within an inch of his life, destroys his car. But then when they come back together in the next race and Davalos wins the shame of Sid Haig, like that he presents like how wounded he is in that moment was like, I I was, I was like, really like, I'm getting, I'm getting like touched by this in a a way that I was not prepared for. I mean, those guys were cooking in that. And again, there was this, this, for me, again, like this kind of like raw homoerotic attraction that, that certainly I kind of felt with Sid Haig's character towards him, you know, in this, this very compelling way. I mean, man, I was, I was so for all that. Yeah. Speaking of compelling, I want to talk
1: about the names of everyone who race in the Grand Prix because I was laughing my <laughs> oh, fucking yeah. ass off. I wrote them all down too, man. Dude, yeah. Rafino Gasolini, the Turin Daredevil, <laughs> uh, ger- ger- the German Heinrich von Schnellfart, <laughs> <laughs> the Swede Roddy Turnup Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, I think there's a couple I missed, but uh, the Argentine Carlos Fandango, described as the pompous playboy who ran slap into a wall and escaped, <laughs> or whatever.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> dude. Oh my god, the Irishman McQuirk. That's just like racist, you know? <laughs> I was dying. It's so yeah. fucking funny.
0: Oh, I loved it, dude. Yeah, I wrote all those names down too. Yeah, I was obsessed with Gasolini. I feel like that. I want that to be, like, my you new know, nickname Gasoline. or something. <laughs> Dude, I can't wait to see Michael Mann's gas-
1: Gasolini.
2: <laughs> 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 Holy shit.
1: Oh, my God. That shit rocks, though. It's such a great sequence. I'm so glad it pays off. I mean, I knew yeah. it would, given the reputation of the film, but, like... It is really kinetic, you know, and it goes beyond what you would even expect or think of a stop motion car race. Like it gets in there all of a sudden like POV and the camera, the quote camera, is flying. It's like the same angle Walter Hill uses in the driver, but they're doing it in stop motion. I was just like, what? The hilly terrain, like all the people on the side of the road it's just such a
2: fucking, like, dynamite sequence. Yeah, I know? was very apprehensive about, like, how they were going to, like, pull it off. And, and like, I have to say, like, this was just, I mean, we're talking auto racing films. This is a great sequence of auto racing. Yeah. I mean, the velocity that they were able to sort of, you know, create an illusion of in this case yeah. was was something that just, like, totally blew me away that I, again, was just, like, hats off to these folks, man. They delivered.
0: Yeah, it was legitimately thrilling. I mean, we, we were yelling at the screen when it reached a point where, of course, the sabotage that um, Gore Slimy does to the car is like this like piece under the dash and it gets too loose and that's what fucks up the car and they have to pull over and they have to figure out what the hell is going on. And it's, it's Ludwig Lambert. Who figures out what it is, he kind of silently creeps in, sees this thing all staticky, and then he just, like, lifts up the orb and connects it. And by doing so, it, like, supercharges the car so it's ten times as powerful as it ever was. And throughout the rest of the race, Lambert has to hold that piece in place as they're going up and down those hills around all those hairpin curves. And every time he, like, lets go a little bit. The car slows down and gets all fucked up. And we're sitting here. We're yelling. We're like, Lambert! Like, don't let go of that thing, buddy! I mean, he would, like, step up. He's like, Oh, I want to get a look at, what, you know, what's, yeah, like what's around gets, the corner. He
1: gets scared of the... He's afraid of thunderstorms. And so there's, like, a little thunder, and he, like, drops it. You know? He's, like, looking around in the car. God damn. Yeah. That hedgehog, I swear to God.
2: I mean, he he, he kept everything going. Because, again, like... You know, let's be honest, like, Rimspoke is just too cool. I mean, this guy is, you know, (laughs) as as cool as we were talking about Rick, you know, in in Pit Stop, like, Rimspoke is just too cool because he was not troubled by anything. He just kept this steely, neutral expression. I mean, it's like Kuleshov effect kind of stuff where he's just, whether he wins, whether he loses, it doesn't really seem to bother him either way. He's just in it for... For, hey, this will be a, an interesting thing to do today. I mean, he doesn't have that kind of drive, but it's like Sonny and and Ludwig Lambert who are really kind of like pushing them to to, to win the race.
0: And, and especially, yes, Lambert with the, the key discovery of the, the sabotage. you mentioned. Yeah, I don't think Rimspoke has a single line of dialogue during the race. That guy is just cool as a cucumber the whole time. He's just He's got a lot to of switches it. to attend to. Yeah.
2: <laughs> His Focus. hand is like all over the dash pressing <laughs> that, buttons. I mean, that know? is very true. Keeping that thing going and, and probably making sure that it doesn't just flat out explode. <laughs> I mean, my God. I got to say, too, like I think part of the key to auto racing is maintaining a certain kind of. Ah, uh, level playing field with with I think certain standards about like how you can build a car and what you can include, you know, kind of like the Pinewood Derby, you know. And yeah. <laughs> I got to say, like, you know, all these guys like Gasolini and and Schnellfart, they roll up with some very nice looking. Yeah, they look like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and stuff like that. But if you're at the starting line and then you know Rimspoke rolls up with this car that's Radar. got like. Radar and eight rockets on the back. You know, I'd, I'd have to be kind of going like, "Wait a second, I don't know. If this is going to be fair here. This guy's yeah. got. Are there any rules? Yeah. yeah. You know? you see the gas he's putting in this thing. Like, what is? It? It's green. It's like,
0: like, there's staggered speedometers. When one becomes overloaded, the like speed uh, like spills over to another layer of uh, like measurements because yeah. the thing just goes too fast.
2: Yeah, I'd be like, can we investigate this this car a little bit here? I don't think these are, you know, stock parts, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, but then there's fucking Gore Slimey who's got his his James Bond tricks with his vehicle—he's got smoke that he can shoot out the back. Like he's also got like secret evil, evil things going on in the inside of his vehicle. Yeah,
2: well, i, I wouldn't call it secret when on your dashboard you literally have a button that says "dirty tricks," you know. Yeah. Again, I'd be calling the like the the race warden over and being like, "Hey, man, can yeah. you can you take a look at that button? <laughs> like, what is that connected to?" I mean, I don't think
0: they allow that in F one. <laughs> no,
2: definitely not. You know?
0: I did think it was so funny when the announcer says like, oh no, it looks like Il Tempo Gigante is, is on fire. And it's like uh, that smoke is like so obviously coming out of the back of Gore Slimy's car. Like what the hell are you guys talking Didn't about? Didn't have a great view. You I know? guess not. I guess not. You know who had a really good view though was uh, Angus Snapforth, the guy who shot the opening credits of Pinchcliffe yes. and then is also like the TV cameraman that is documenting the, the race itself really nice. And I loved that too because, you know, the the way the film opened,
2: you know what it actually was taking me back to? Comrades. Ooh. It was taking me back to, you know, the the Magic Lantern yes. guy from Comrades. And again, how we kind of talked about with that film that was, you know, the director's sort of sort of like playful way of talking about like independent cinema and handmade films and labors of love in in media. And I kind of felt the same playful essence of <laughs> of that here right it's like hey here's cinema folks and it's this weird contraption where it's this camera on like a, a like a, a penny farthing bicycle almost and he's kind of like biking around to 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 film the action you know
1: you know what it reminded me of the credits of contempt Oh, with guitar! Yeah. <laughs> on the Dolly, you yeah, know? sure,
0: sure, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I love that Pinchcliffe invoked comrades for you, Andy, and that pit stop invoked dirky for you, Marsh. Like that—that wow. that is the ultimate. Like when I see sand, <laughs> I think of our
1: boy. I think of our boy.
0: <laughs> but yeah, man, that car is just so cool and so fast, and it's just like what I just love that. Even right at the top, it's so obvious. Like it's just such a better car. Like he gains 15 seconds on that first lap, even though he starts like 30 seconds behind all of them. Like he's just so clearly the winner. And then even when they get supercharged, they just literally tear up the pavement, make the asphalt melt. And it's like, man, if they weren't, if they weren't sabotaging him, it would have been a joke. And it would be very interesting. No, it would have been a really boring race. He probably would have lapped them three times. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I like, too, the cutting to, like, the living room of people in Pinchcliffe, uh, which is a nice touch. Because I I did get this general feeling, as well, that this movie is is like, yeah, like, this is us, Norway. We're these weird country bumpkins. Like, (laughs) now we're on the world stage. Love us, you know? And I was like, I do, I do, you know? (laughs) Totally. Like, it felt, yeah, this sort of, like we're in the spotlight, you know? Cause yeah, just the emphasis on like the community, you know, and like not just these guys, but the town.
2: And that's why it's such a stark uh, contrast to, to what happens to this like little community that develops in pit stop you know there is this kind of like really like uh awesome like team building kind of sequence of the film where they all do come together yeah. mcleod rick and hawk and and stop pulling in opposite directions but decide to become this kind of like super racing team to take down you know Sunny. like. Yeah, Sonny, the, the like, the southern redneck racer who's here to just kind of, like, toy with all these, like, California idiots or something like that. And they come up with this scheme, you know? It's like, we're going to use Hawk's, like, manic energy to, to sort of run out there and set a pace, a pace that's going to burn his own engine out, but get Sonny to overextend himself. And, of course, McLeod is supposed to win the race because he's the, the the real face of the team, and you know rick kind of comes up with this whole scheme where like hey man and i'm just here to back you up you know i'm here to just make sure that 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 people stay off your six but that isn't quite the plan no, no, uh, no. it's it's much more Again, you know, a, a, uh, I think a plan out of Willard's own heart, you know, he learned how to race from pops, but how to fuck everyone over from from Brian Donlevy because, man, that that race and and where it wound up like I honestly I should have seen it coming just in the tone, the general tone of the film up to this point. But like, man, when suddenly Rick takes his villain turn, it, it did kind of come like to me like a like a ninety degree turn all of a sudden, like out of nowhere. Like I really did believe in him for a minute. I really did believe, and and maybe that's just me, and maybe I was still riding off the good vibes of like the pinch clip Grand Prix, but like, <laughs> oh no, 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 no. It is it is much, much, much darker and much worse there.
1: Yeah, and I think if they had been allowed to keep the original title, uh, the ending would would make more sense in the ironic uh, way that it does, which is the film was was called The Winner. And it's a film that, you know, yes, ends with Rick winning this race while uh, poor McCloud gets a fucking broken neck and, and dies. Uh, and then it's like, yeah, you're the fucking winner. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you it's won, like, dude.
1: <laughs> great you know it just is this hopeless yeah sort of again this very like American thing as Don Levy says nobody blames you Rick everyone's out to win and it's like are they you know like that you know again many questions but uh yeah it's fucking dark man like really dark and it's on to the next race uh and that's uh, that's the winner you know yeah. just total feel bad yeah and you know I should point out they changed the title to Pit Stop because in 1969, Universal Pictures released a film called Winning, starring Paul Newman as a race car driver who aspires to win the Indianapolis 500. I have not seen it. I
0: haven't seen it. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. Yet. Interesting. Yeah, because the yeah. winner is a much better title, I think, for this film and really yeah. like underlines that ending. Um, yeah, because then we're back to, like, yeah, like, the sickness that this country has
1: called yeah. winning, you know? Yeah. Like,
2: yeah. Above all else, <laughs> man. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, like, with the title, like, Pit Stop... It it is then just this kind of like exploitation cheapy but if it had the title the winner it it, it elevates the film on a certain level it's crazy you know how rare it can be where a title like can completely I think change one's perception of like what this film is certainly not for those who watch it just watch the fucking movie because it's a ripper it's a
0: face smelter for sure but like yeah that is just such such a better title and yeah Radical contrast with the most delightful final moment in a film I've seen in a long time with Pinchcliffe when we've got Lambert and Ludwig, uh, Lambert slash Ludwig in bed with Sonny Duckworth. And I remember when when we finally saw it, Molly was like, I can't believe it. After Lambert saves the day, he doesn't get to sleep on the inside berth. And yet it was a little it was a little trick. Sonny dream Duckworth work gets the up
1: dream work. and he says,
0: Lambert, you can have the inside berth because their bed is up against the wall, and Lambert always stuck with a little bit of a draft that comes up from the floorboards, and instead he gets the inside berth. And the noise that Lambert makes when he like snuggles up to go to bed and like feels that warmth. <sighs> That is just a pure dopamine rush. That is just like (laughs) the best way you could ever cap off a film. Just perfection.
1: Well, string me up and stuff me in a
0: hen coop. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny. Every Every time Sonny Duckworth said that, I was trying to remember. I was like, what is the line that Harry Dean Stanton says in 92 in the Shade that is also about hens? And it was driving me crazy, and it came to me this morning when I woke up, is when Harry Dean says, boy, you've been scarce as hen's teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different, but still really nice.
2: Yeah. yeah. Any, any chance to recall our guys. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Only, only Harry Dean Stanton, though, could get away with a line like that. Like, you know, right. if I said that to you, you'd just laugh at me, you know? <laughs> yeah. it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be cool at all. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, what a, f- a fun day at the races. Um, mm-hmm, andy yeah. what's your ideal uh model vehicle uh car film i was trying to come up with a well, plan, i couldn't do it
2: you know I, I i gotta say like when we when we when we rolled into this week's topic you know in my mind i was just like oh yeah man i, I i've seen so many great car racing movies I, I freaking like love this shit and then i sat down and i really was like thinking about it i was like and actually, I haven't seen that. Many. <laughs> I haven't actually seen that many. Sure. You know, I mean, I've seen some bad ones uh, like "Driven" with Sylvester Stallone, which is a is an absolute like idiotic film. But I, I mean, if I had to to just like mention like one or two, because obviously there are like movies about people in, in sort of, I think less official kind of racing capacities that are, that are pretty cool. Um, I mean, you, you both know how much I love vanishing point, you know, I mean, that's just sort of a guy racing himself or I guess, you know, the entire highway patrol of the Southwest, but that's not an auto race per se. Um, I mean, I, I mentioned to you folks how it's like, I would even have accepted something like uh, you know, Tulane Blacktop. I mean, speaking of Monty Hellman, I I think we all love that fucking movie. And and again, not an official kind of race. It's not sanctioned by any kind of body, but it is a a movie about two cars racing one another across America. You know, it's a, it's a sort of like, you know, almost like existential kind of race that develops in that movie. And, and that's why that movie kicks ass uh, because it's just about like the the purity of 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 racing, I think. But but I am also a big fan of of um John Frankenheimer's Grand Prix. Yeah baby. You know, not exactly the Pinchcliffe Grand Prix, <laughs> but 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 Frankenheimer, he knows his way around a an oval track, that's for sure. And and that movie is pretty damn good. Even though I'm not a I'm just Garner. not a big I'm not a big James Garner guy, but but, but the velocity is there. In oh, that yeah. movie, you know
1: I, that was the only other film I thought about picking. Just being like, that's a film that goes insanely fast uh, in a very serious way because Frankenheimer was a nut job. So oh yeah,
2: oh yeah, yeah <laughs> that movie's pretty good, yeah.
1: But James Garner, I mean, see I, ya, I, I smell guess, you later.
2: I guess I like Days of Thunder, too. Do you like Days of Thunder? Did you ever see Days been, of Thunder? It's
1: been, oh yeah, many times as a kid, but it's been it's been ages, yeah. you know.
2: The god Tony Scott also
0: knows his way around velocity. Yeah, he saw Pit Stop, I guarantee it. I <laughs> or, really or, like... or not, but <laughs> mean, you know. I, I really like Cronenberg's Fast Company, his drag yeah. racing movie. Yeah. I've that, never seen that one. It's cool. Oh, man. One. It's solid.
1: It's no red line 7,000, but. Oh, uh,
2: yeah, that's a good one, too. That's,
1: yeah,
0: that's, that's sort of, too. to me,
1: like the pinnacle of like the studio, kind of like this era doing a version of it. And of course, it's like Hawks is so fucking old. <laughs> yeah. And yet, you know, it's such a great film full of full of weirdness and Jimmy Conn. Yeah, so. young
2: Jimmy Conn, yeah. which is always like a sight to behold.
1: But yeah, Fast Company's good shockingly good but not shocking because it's david cronenberg
0: yeah just making a movie about so many loves that's right hell yeah
2: well it was my turn to pick and next week we
0: have ryan you're up so what do you got for us uh this is a topic that uh i've wanted to do for a while Books. And <laughs> not quite, not quite. Um, though who knows? Maybe I could actually riff on the the naming of it. Perhaps we'll call next week. Uh, <laughs> no, we won't call it. I guess we could call it Clive Barker's The Books of Blood. But you know, watching Passion of the Christ last week had reminded me, uh, oh, even no. though I didn't love it in that film, uh, one of my very favorite things in cinema is blood and guts. And I feel like we've flirted with that territory a little bit every now and then, Uh, but we've never really dedicated a ton of time to that specifically. So next week, I wanna see lots of blood, lots of guts. I want to see intestines. I want to see livers. I want to see arms and legs coming off. I want it to be even a competition. I am going to bestow a special pumpkin guts prize to whoever has the best kill uh, in whatever films you bring to me. And I'll decide the terms of that. (laughs) When I am confronted with it, whether it's the kill that grosses me out the most or makes me giggle the most, we'll see. We'll see how I'm feeling. But there's a little prize in store next week for man, blood and guts.
2: I feel partly responsible for this, Marsh, because you know, just uh, when Ryan was in town, we were sitting by the fire, and I was like, Ryan, what do you think is the grossest movie you've ever seen? <laughs> yeah. And he- I should have known it was coming, too, because he was like, you know, actually, too, I was thinking about this for a topic. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. And I missed that conversation entirely. And then Kyle and I watched the, the movie that Ryan said. Yeah. It was a movie that upset <laughs> him deeply. Yeah. So here I am just having watched the untold story right. with Anthony Wong That was surely
0: one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. (laughs) I mean, that's what he said to me. (laughs) It doesn't have to be upsetting blood and guts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Most blood and guts give me joy. Uh Uh-huh. All right. As always, uh,
1: you know, find us on the Internet. We're there. And send us emails, topics, whatever you want, to gauntletmoviepodcast
0: at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.
2: Detta är hela innehället i rök, men vi är rädda efter
0: en dramatisk henne.